You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm joined by co-host Brendan Clean. We'll be here to talk about our quarterly stock reports. We're a quarter of the way through the season already. It's it's really come, come up on us pretty fast so far, Bren. Um, we don't, don't really want to talk about that game that happened in Detroit. I mean, that, I mean, 30-plus point loss. I think that's the second or third time that's happened to the Suns this year. I think it's the sixth time already they've lost by 20-plus games this season. So it's going to be a rough one for the Suns. We already knew that the season's all about progress and development with the young guys. But any sort of quick thoughts you have from that Pistons blowout? Yeah, I would just say it's, it's getting old to see them unable to uh, execute. You know, they're, I, I get that they're young, but they're also really inconsistent. So I think just overall it's, it's to the point where we need to be seeing better performance by them. Yeah, I was actually texting Dave King about this, our editor for Brightside of the Sun, and I noticed so far under Trion, I think 22 games so far they've had, again, about 30% of their losses have been by over 20-plus. So I think it's going to be something to moderate moving forward. But let's dive in right into these stock reports because this is what you guys are all listening to today with us. And let's get right on with Devin Booker. I think we both talked about this a little bit on the podcast this year so far, but really Booker's progression, his overall jump this year has been surprising to me at least. We we knew we were going to see some sort of jump with Booker, but not sort of this like elite jump that we've seen. Because McDonough even mentioned it, I looked it up at media day with his quotes. He said that he thought this year was going to be the year that Booker became a quote-unquote elite offensive weapon. So is, this, is McDonough sort of right in that sense that, that Booker's taking that step forward? I think he, he definitely is in terms of, uh, you know, just pure scoring. But I kind of dove into the numbers quite a bit and, and noticed that the, the really the only area he's completely elite in where you'd say he's relative to his competition uh, as far as the other shooting guards, wings in the league go, that he's elite would be pull-up jumpers, pull-up shots. Um, and that's obviously the main way that he finds his offense on the pick-and-roll. But um, he's at sixth in the NBA in pull-up points per game, and he's shooting 42% on those looks. So just to give you guys an idea, that's – around guys like Clay Thompson and Victor Oladipo. So, like, you know, as far as the efficiency, it's maybe the second tier. But uh, he's scoring in heaps just because he's getting the volume of shots up that, you know, we see him put up over 20 a game most nights. So does that surprise you, Evan, seeing that, hearing that? Um, because a lot of the other areas of the game, he's, he's been really turnover prone, um, catch and shoot. He just doesn't have the guys to get him the ball. Uh, so really the pull-ups and then transition, he and Warren have both been pretty solid there. They combined for 10.4 transition points per game. But does that pull-up, do those pull-up numbers surprise you at all? Yeah, actually a little bit. I think I saw another number with Andrew Bailey of Bleacher Report. He said that almost Booker's long twos, I think between 16 and 20 feet, it's almost as efficient as Blake Griffin at the rim for layups, which I which almost made my jaw drop because, I mean, for someone with Booker that much mid-range prowess and for him to – be taking that step forward as far as his pull-up game and his overall running as overall offensive game on his three levels as far as inside mid-range and perimeter game he's taking those steps forward and I think his stock overall if I had to give a grade for his stock so far it's definitely way up on the trajectory I'd buy a lot of stock on Booker while you can because I think if he keeps his stuff up like I've said before on this podcast I think there's gonna be a really fun discussion around January or so if he maintains about him being a an all-star at the age of 21 because McDonough brought up on Arizona Sports 98.7 that if he does keep it up, he, he believes that Booker should be an all-star. So 
do you agree that Booker, if he does keep this up, is an all-star this year? But I, I think I think we said this before, but I think guys like Lillard and CJ McCollum, that it might be a little harder this year, but probably very soon in the future, though, right? Yeah, I think we, you know, we've talked about this year just how hard it's going to be, but um, you expect that certain guys who have been mainstays in that conversation for a while, maybe they have, uh, you know, the downswing of their career starts. Maybe just Booker gets so good that it doesn't matter. But yeah, just to those mid-range numbers, he's at I think forty-eight percent as of right now for mid-range, and he's had a little bit of a downswing the past maybe a week or two. But no, I mean he he's kind of undeniably. Uh, growing on offense and I think you know for me the next step for him I would agree you know by stock he's he's only going to get better from here but the next step for him really in my mind is is going to come when they do get that that other ball handler Um, whether he continues to put the ball in his own hands like we've seen recently or or whether that guy is more of a combo type player in a similar mold of uh, Eric Bledsoe you know that kind of player who's going to be able to set him up for things like catch and shoot opportunities and uh, even make it easier for him when he does get out in transition like we've seen him do so well this year. I think having somebody who can really set up offense for him will, will just make him, you know, take him to another level. With the removal of Eric Bledsoe after the first three games of the season, we obviously saw Devin Booker take on a, a much bigger role as, as far as primary initiating and playmaking. And I, I dove into the numbers as far as his assist and his overall passing rate goes. And between him and DeMar DeRozan, and not really including James Hardy, he's really been more of a point guard this season alongside Chris Ball, even though he's already there in Houston. But those two guys, if you add in the shots missed at the rim or really easy opportunities that they've failed on the sun so far, Booker and DeMar DeRozan are the only two guys that have over 100 adjusted assists so far for shooting guards. And I think that's really stood out to me so far because that means that he's averaging about five and a half assists, five and a half assists per game if they're actually converting on those easy makes and not turning the ball over. So I think he's taking that next step as a playmaker. And really, secondary assists too, which are like hockey assists, he is, I believe, fourth in the NBA behind Clay Thompson, Bradley Beal, and James Harden, as far as hockey assists go, making the making that extra pass to get the to get the open man. So, have you seen that as well with Booker making that progression as all around and his really his playmaking ability too? Yeah, I think it kind of goes along with uh, that need for for more talent. You know, exactly, and it's yeah. not necessarily as easy as saying talent, but just guys who are going to convert the shots that they're that they're given. I don't think that um, aside from maybe Dragon Bender, who we'll get to in a moment um, there's not a lot of guys who can just consistently knock down shots when they're open and, and that seems like a simple skill but it really is all about rhythm and, and all of that so I think he, he definitely struggles in the, that category from being on a young team but yeah I'd say that you know as he gets better and more comfortable putting the ball in his hands and playing off of the guys that uh, you know they'll find ways to to make the offense work a little better and um, you know maximize what they have for sure. All right, before we move on to our next person, it's going to be TJ Warren. I want to get a quick – I'll do a quick grade as well. What's your overall grade 22 games in for Devin Booker between F, D, C, B, A? Uh, can we do pluses and minuses? Yeah, no problem. Okay. I'll do a – I'd say probably a, a B plus. I think he's impressed me in, in the playmaking areas we were just talking about, but uh, you know, the, the growing pains you'd expect on a team that's so raw – have, uh, he hasn't really been able to overcome those, and, and to me, that would be the difference between an A and a B. Is just if he was, 
you know, to be really truly looking elite at this point in the year, it would coming from, you know, certain guys like, you know, a Ben Simmons or, or a player like that where it's just undeniable um, and overcoming the limitations elsewhere on the roster. And I don't think he's done that, but he's done everything you could possibly expect given the, the situation. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably go with B plus two, but I'll give him a little bit of doubt and go A minus because because after the Eric, after the Eric Bledsoe situation, he's had little to no help on offense outside T.J. Warren, and he's had to become really the point guard at times, the shooting guard at times, a small forward. He's played a lot of a lot of spots on the floor. He usually doesn't without Bledsoe, and so he's adjusting to that point. And he's really done it well so far. So I imagine I was thinking about this earlier today, just like hypothetical, if they would have had made a trade for a, a different point guard this summer. Son like Ricky Rubio or like George Hill, if they knew Bledsoe was going to leave, I feel like Booker Booker would be talked about a lot more because he'd be having actually a legitimate threat alongside and open up spots from the floor. So I feel like if McDonough was to add a, diff, a a better point guard alongside, he'd be having some pretty huge numbers. But for what he's done so far, I think it's been pretty impressive. So I'll give him an A minus just for the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I think we're just kind of. Maybe, yeah, like you said, the benefit of the doubt is a difference. Okay, but with Warren, I have to ask you because I feel like on Twitter, and, you know, Twitter's stupid and people have opinions that they don't actually think about too hard, but uh, I feel like I've I've found myself, like, reeling people in about TJ Warren, like, outside of the Suns media uh, circle, like, guys that cover other teams or just, you know, fans and stuff about TJ Warren because they are so impressed with this guy and I know uh, he's had an incredible year and he's scoring much better than he ever has more consistently you can tell he just has a better grasp of what his his game is going to be going going forward and we can talk about whether we like what that has become because I'm not sure I do but do you see that that like ridiculous hype about Warren and do you agree with it? No I mean I think his class was the 2014 draft right? I mean, yeah. outside of those guys, I mean, outside maybe Andrew Wiggins, I think he's definitely been the second best wing out of that class. And really with Wiggins and him, they have the same problem. They really can't shoot consistently from the perimeter. And really, TJ doesn't have anything outside of 20 feet that he can make. I think he's 8% so far on the three this year. But I was I read a piece with Kevin O'Connor. I think you saw it as well. But I agree with what Kevin O'Connor, the ringer, said. He said that if Warren would have had some sort of perimeter game outside of the three-point line, that he would be like a legitimate fringe superstar kind of guy. Because he he is very efficient from the first two levels of the floor, and if he had that perimeter game, he by far I mean he might have a conversation to be an all star this year if he had that type of perimeter game in his arsenal. But I think he's the one that's benefited the most from the Eric Bledsoe removal because that's really opened up his spots on the floor and really given him the most opportunities ever had as a son, right? Yeah, I mean I've been I've been impressed with him um, overall. Like I said, uh, it's just. Like I mentioned before, I'm not sure that I like how his game's going. I just think he's mostly given up on shooting threes. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a very that's a big red flag for me. Yeah, it's huge. He's uh, cleaning the glass has him in the first percentile. Basically, no one in the league uh, uh, that he the the site classifies him as a wing. No one, no wing in the entire league has been uh, less has had put up less threes or uh, had a, a lower efficiency on those shots. Like he's. He's basically the, one of the worst shooting wings in the entire NBA, and there's just a ceiling on you know even when you're next to a player as amazing of a shooter that that Booker's hopefully going to end up being like there it's just such a clear ceiling and the fact that 
<clears throat> what this is year four, and he's already basically decided that that shot's not going to be part of his arsenal, and, and that's just incredibly concerning. With that being said, though, do you feel like Warren is one of those throwback guys to, like, the 80s or 90s? Like, I, I've seen guys on Brightside in the comments section say, like, even though it's kind of a stretch to say this, but, like, a Bernard King kind of guy. Like, he... Sure, I mean, yeah, I think that there's, like, a... Obviously, those guys can be super effective. It's just a matter of where the league is and, oh, and course, the way you have man. to build, like, lineups around them because there are certain players, you know, who you, who you just can't play next to him at, at a certain point. I think they've done well with having guys like Chris and Bender who can make three-point shots. That's going to help when, when Warren's on the court because that's going to just every player who can shoot is going to make his life easier. Um, and, yeah, I looked. He has 45% of his shots have come at the rim this year, and he's made 66% of those. So those are both, like, you know, upper-tier numbers for – what kind of player he is and that's how he's going to have to he's going to really have to be even better than that toward the level of like you know the superstars of the league uh as far as scoring at the rim goes if if he's going to really make it you know make it worthwhile to have him be one of your top scorers because if he's just average in the spots that he prefers it's not going to be good enough See, I know, like, obviously, Devin Booker's the face of the franchise, and really he is the, the, the main guy for this roster this season. But really, maybe the fulcrum of this roster has been TJ Warren because I saw, Chris, shout out to Chris Hansen on Twitter, he tweeted out that I believe, maybe if I'm messing up these stats or not, he said, I think if the TJ Warren scores 21 points or more, I think they're like 5-1 and one or something like that, or 6-2. and two. And then when they don't, they're about, I believe, 4-12 and 12 or something along those lines. So... Really, if he's not catching his rhythm early on in games, it spells trouble for the Suns. And really, if it's just Booker going, I mean, the Suns really have almost no chance. And that really shows the overall lack of offensive talent and really overall talent in this roster around Booker and Warren. Because really, if those, yeah. two, if those two guys can't score combined 50 points, the Suns really can't win a game. Yeah, it gets ugly too. I mean, I like when he, he's at 6.3 offensive rebounding percentage for the season. That's... Uh, Toward the top of the league for for wings, and when he's when he's getting easy shots like that, putbacks, transition buckets, um, layups, when he can get those early in the game, it really affects his the way he, he attacks the rest of the year of the, of the game. But throughout the year, when he's um, you know tried to force force his rhythm, you know, when he's tried to just be overly aggressive, especially when Booker's been out of the game, that doesn't go well, and so. And that's just another area that he's going to continue to grow, I'm sure. But it gets a little ugly when, when he puts the ball in his hands and, and tries to make something happen. A lot of the time, that's not really a recipe for success. It's it, you know it's those contested floater-type shots that when there's not an opening there and he's just chucking them up, it, it, they're, they're such a low-efficiency shot that it's going to look ugly for you know minutes at a time. Yeah, you could say TJ's really taking advantage of his number two role. But, I mean, outside of that, I wanted to touch on real quick with TJ is him and Josh Jackson sharing the floor together. We haven't seen it that often this season. We saw it the first three games, and it was an absolute disaster as far as that goes under Earl Watson. Their pairing on the floor was rather awful together as defensively goes. But I think so far, I mean, under Triano, it's not been as bad. They haven't seen as much time together, obviously. But do you feel like long-term, having those guys try to play more together is important the rest of the year? I think you definitely have to if, if you you know continue to lose as much as they have recently and, and the season looks out of hand if they start to deal deal the veteran players and kind of move where we all expected they would start to move at the end of the year then yeah you have really no choice but to 
you know, I don't need them to be starting. If I'm, if I was making the call, I don't think that's the best option right now, just because Jackson, you know, continues to struggle as a, as a shooter and Warren doesn't shoot. So that's not going to work, especially if, you know, a center doesn't shoot either. And that's three guys already that, that can't make a jumper that that's a, just as bad as the Monroe Chandler or Len Chandler lineups we've seen. Um, but no, I think for sure that to just see what those guys can do, have them learn from one another. I mean, you just lock down TJ Warren, not, you know, that's can't, can't go uh, unmentioned in this, in this Warren section is he signed a four year extension, um, paying him over $10 million a year before this season. So, you know, whether he's improved or not, that's, they've, they've staked a, a, this guy to their long-term future either, you know, as a player or an asset, but either way, you'd like him to uh, continue to improve and you'd like to see what he can do with the roster. So there's no more important future piece besides Booker, I'd say, than Jackson. And uh, you should be doing everything you can to see how Jackson fits with, you know, your future. All right, one more quick thing with the Warren-Jackson pairing. Do you feel like that spacing that they have, I mean, both are almost non-shooters from the perimeter. Do you feel like that's a scary sight moving forward for the Suns as far as long-term building of the roster goes? Or do you, do you feel like that guy that they need to have, like some, someone like a Michael Porter Jr., isn't really on this roster yet? Or do you feel like they really can't add any more wings to this roster with how it's constructed? Because I feel like they're kind of in a tricky bind now with doing that Warren extension. They're going to have to almost have to make this make these two guys fit together. Yeah, I think you, I mean, you hope, you know, you haven't seen enough from Jackson to say that his shots uh, oh, never going to be yeah. there. And I, I don't think you're saying that either, but just in general, that's, uh, you really are hoping if you're the Suns front office that his shot at least becomes playable where he's putting up two or three a game and, you know, making them around league average. If he could even just do something like that, it makes everything a lot easier. You can really start to build lineups more easily. Uh, and yeah, I think that a priority in this upcoming draft should either, you know, outside of the center prospects, it should be shooting in whatever way they can find it. And, you know, that's easier said than done. There's not a many elite shooters coming out of the draft every year, but that should be a priority because it hasn't been in the past. Now, off-topic, Ruka, before we go into Josh Jackson, just a quick question related to Dave Henry I wanted to ask you. Because really, he was the guy that really impressed me a lot in Vegas. I mean, I think he was easily the second-best player behind Josh Jackson, maybe even the best player in most of those games. But do you feel like Dave Reed is that missing guy that we're talking about that's going to provide that 3 and D and that spacing? Because I feel like that's what they expected with Reed, but we really haven't been able to see it yet. Yeah, I hope so. I think that's, that's why they drafted him. They locked on to him really early in the draft process. People... Uh, John Gambadoro especially were reporting that second round pick is going to be read for about a month before the draft it seemed like so you know if they really like what they saw then I, I would you know give them the trust and hope that they you know did their due diligence and that, that that's what he's going to be but um, it surely would help yeah especially toward the end of the year once they start getting rid of some of these players that are helping the team now they're going to need something like that some production but what uh, what grade do you have for Warren? Yeah, I was going to say, I think my grade for Warren is around a B, B plus because like you said, he does have some deficiencies in his game, and really abandoning that three-point shot is a very worrisome sign for a 24-year-old forward at this point because really at that point, you don't know if it's going to come back to his game at all because if he's just going to be a two-level scorer, then really you are putting him in a box as far as his long-term potential. And really, with that being said, I think he's really taken on the, the primary secondary role, number two option after Bledsoe left pretty well. But, I mean... Long term, you got to just look at those fits, and I feel like he's having a good year so far, and that contract is looking like a pretty good bargain for what they hope to have him in the future. But I think 
really outside of Warren and Booker, they really haven't had any scores. So really, he has taken on that extra scoring load. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give him a B and kind of downgrade him just as far as um, that inability to, to shoot the outside shot. And then I also was a bigger fan of what he provided on defense last year compared to this year. Uh, I just thought he was getting to a point where I felt like he'd be a really uh, capable turnover creator, and I haven't seen that as much from him this year. But what are we doing, Jackson, next? Yeah, we are. And what was his net rating and his offensive rating so far? His offensive rating for the Suns when he's on the floor, the overall team's offensive rating is 104.5. But when TJ's off the floor, it craters all the way down to 10.5 points less at 94.1. And really, their net rating is really almost negative 15 when he's off the floor. So I think that really needs to be talked about with TJ because when he's not on the floor, their offense alongside Booker when he's not on the floor are almost craters. But really, to your point, there is another really offensive talent outside of this team. So I'll give that a B. But let's dive in real quick to Josh Jackson. Brendan, what's your overall impression of Jackson so far? I've been intrigued with what he might be able to be defensively. Uh, I think that was sort of what you would have at least – the very least hope for coming in but uh, you know looking at those off on off numbers as you just were with Warren the uh, Suns offense is uh, 20 points worse when Jackson's on the com- court compared to their overall number so they have like a one of three offensive rating and when he's on the court it's all the way down to 83 and that's just Really, it's it's almost impossible to be that much worse and play as much as he is with, you know, the at least somewhat decent offensive talent that this team has. Um, and so when I I had never thought to look because I had never realized that it was so bad for him. But I mean, the Suns are twenty fifth on offense, and when Jackson's on the court, that eighty three is is just it blows any of the worst offenses we've ever seen out of the water. Do you feel like that's sort of to be because of his, his turnover issue so far? Because I feel like when he's on the floor, I feel like almost one out of every three possessions ends in a turnover. Is that probably – I feel like that might be what it is. But really, Jackson yeah, – I, I think so because, I mean, like exactly like what you were saying, I was trying to go online and, and find turnovers broken down by type because I feel like he is called for traveling at least once or twice every game. But I couldn't find any breakdowns like that. But I think you're right. It's the turnovers and then he shoots – miserably so far yeah I mean do you feel like I think his shooting splits are rather po- really poor so far especially from free throw line and a three and, and that was sort of be, to be expected with Kansas we saw it in the first half of the year he kind of improved on that the second half with Kansas when he got hot so I mean this is kind of what we expected with Josh Jackson I mean he's going to find his his spots on the floor eventually he's going to probably be a, a, a net negative as far as perimeter shooting goes but him as a transition guy and as a slasher to the rim and really as a lockdown defender. I, I covered this in my piece with on Bright Side of the Sun, I think, last week. His steal percentage, though, it's about 41%. That would be the all-time high in the last 20 years for any rookie in the NBA Stats database. And it, it would be ahead of the guys like Ron Artest, Gerald Wallace, those type of guys. I feel like that's a really good comparison right now for, for really Josh Jack's potential on this roster with how they're building Booker as the number one option. Do you feel like really he could be like that lockdown clamp guy? that you want to send against LeBron a couple years down the line? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe, a, I don't know. I, I Comparisons are weird, but I think Jalen Brown stands out as a, he's not as, doesn't have as big of a frame, especially at this point since he's so young still, but that kind of a player, you know, and the thing is about those guys, though, is that they eventually became more effective by 
adding a three-point shot, you know? So we'll see how that goes. But as far as defense goes, yeah, I think, yeah, that, that steal percentage is, uh, it's elite. It's in the very upper reaches of, of players at his position. And you see it on the court. He, he pesters guys, really bothers players uh, on ball. And I think he's a smarter defensive, defensive player in the half court than I thought he would be. And uh, so, yeah, the defensive has been awesome. But that offense, too, back to that really quick, he's, uh, he's at 23 usage rate, a 23 usage rate, and he shoots that badly. It, and he's at a, an 8.0 PER, basically, because of, of that horrible shooting. So, I mean, I, I had been frustrated going throughout the season uh, with the inconsistency in Jackson's minutes, but looking at the numbers and sort of what happens to the team when he's on the court, I don't necessarily blame Triano for having a quick trigger with, with Jackson. You know, this, sort of po- this just popped in my head for an idea, and I want to get your opinion on this as well, because with the Bledsoe trade happening, that opened up a lot more usage and a lot more minutes for someone like Josh Jackson to be the third guy. And really, he hasn't taken advantage of that, like you said, a 23 percentage and 8.0 PER. Do you feel like unless Jackson gets it going, this is going to be how it is for the Suns? I feel like they were they were expecting Jackson to take advantage of that extra usage rate, and so far he just hasn't. Yeah, he really hasn't adjusted that well. So I think that's going to be really interesting to follow. But do you feel like that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think. I mean, the step for him uh, going forward is just. If he can't shoot, if that's if, if it's still uncomfortable for him, if maybe there's a tweak in form that's going to come next summer or, or the summer after, and maybe it's just a work in progress like it is for a lot of rookies, he really needs to become more comfortable as a passer. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially if we do see those lineups where, where Warren and Jackson are on the court together, that maybe they're putting the ball in Jackson's hands, having spot-up shooters, having Warren you know, as a screener or as a cutter, and uh, seeing what Jackson can do sort of running, pick-and-roll, running, uh, you know any of the action on the, the top of the key in the offense and seeing what he can do there seeing how the vision coming along because at least in the short term without that shot he's going to have a, his best offensive value be you know passing because he, he has a better feel than a lot of, of rookies do yeah that's the one thing that's really surprised me so far with how the Suns have used Josh Jackson is they really haven't put him in a lot of playmaking positions because <laughs> Even McDonough brought this up at the post-draft press conference. He said that Josh Jackson was the best wing he has scouted in the past decade as far as passing goes. And really, we haven't seen Earl Watson and or Jay Triano put them put him really in a good spot as far as playmaking goes. He hasn't really brought up the court that much. And really, he hasn't really earned that spot yet, like you said, because he's been turning the ball over. He has had a lot of – I think he's had about 65% of his games have been with two-plus, three-plus fouls. So he's gotten into the foul trouble a lot so far. So I think once he calms down, he gets he slows down the game a little bit more with his speed and really takes advantage of his overall defensive capabilities. I feel like he'll be, he'll be well off, but what's your overall grade for Jackson? Yeah, I would say uh, C minus. I feel like that's, you know, maybe treating him a little too hard for a rookie, but uh, just once I dig, dug into the numbers, I had been pretty optimistic, felt good about his defense and, you know, the numbers sort of bear that out, especially with the turnover stuff. But just in general, I, I think it's, you know, been a really really frustrating year for him offensively and so uh c minus yeah yeah i was actually good with c minus as well because really outside of his defense and his really being able to read the floor like a free safety in football i mean i've seen him in person a lot so far he's he has that innate ability of reading that extra pass that's going to happen about three seconds before he's he's already cutting toward that guy so it's really really elite type of tendencies i'm seeing so far with jackson as an on-ball defender i think i brought up a 
a, a couple days ago, but Mo Harkless, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, alongside Josh Jackson, if it maintains, will be the only four rookies over the past decade to have a plus 30 steal percentage. So I think, really, if he, if he puts together on the offensive end, he'll be fine. But as, as only being a one-sided weapon so far, I'll give Josh Jackson about a C- minus or a C. But let's dive in real quick to our next guy on the timeline, or timeline core we're discussing today, and that's Dragon Bender. Brendan, what's your thoughts on Dragon Bender so far in the first 23 games? So he's a uh, similar spot as Jackson as far as uh, the the you know the improvements we're seeing not really holding up when you sort of look at how the team performs with him. So you know, and just as a sidebar, the Suns actually so ESPN's real plus minus basically another one of these numbers that tries to like get the overall estimate of a player's performance by looking at box box score data and and seeing how the team plays when they're on the court. And uh, the Suns have four players in the bottom ten, or three, at least three. Four players, I think, in the bottom ten, and those are uh, Bender, Euless, Jackson, and Chris. And that's just, it kind of encapsulates the problems here. But uh, I've liked with Bender the, the way that he's tried to simplify his offensive game. So he's shooting 3.23s per game. They're all coming catch and shoot. So he's not, you know, pulling up and he's not uh, really driving at all. So that's 37% though on threes. So that's been nice to see. And then uh, defensively, he's looked good, but I just don't think the numbers really show that that improvement's come so much. Yeah, I mean, we saw a couple flashes at some points in preseason, especially when Bender had his moments a couple weeks ago. But really, outside of that, we've seen him have a lot of inconsistencies that we saw last year. He has definitely make it, made his stride as far as perimeter orientation goes, making a lot more threes, really getting himself more involved in that area. But I think I've noticed this a lot so far, too, and it's kind of worrisome to me. But really, a lot of guys aren't, aren't giving a drug and Bender a lot of opportunity off the ball to like get going on the offense. Have you seen that, too? Because I, I, yeah, I've I, seen like Mike I, James and Tyler Ulysses, they're not really passing off the ball. So I just want to get your opinion on that as well. Well, we saw in uh, the, I think it was the Pelicans game, that that little bit of frustration on the part of Mike James at the end of the half, uh, an opportunity to kind of throw up a heave where it was maybe a little bit closer than most teams. It might have actually had a chance to go in. Uh, they were passing the ball back and forth on the perimeter as the time wound down. And I guess Mike James felt that, that Dragon should have been shooting it um, and kind of, I don't know, irritatedly threw him the ball, uh, kind of threw it at him a little bit, not hit him with it, but, you know, some frustration there. So maybe, you know, not to read too much into that, but that's sort of in line with what we've seen the past two years from Bender is just a little bit timid when he does get the ball with a chance to score. So maybe it's just a question from his teammates of whether or not he's really going to, do what he needs to do when when he has that chance but I wish that he did get involved a little bit more especially as a passer from the elbows that we haven't seen that at all and that was supposed to be one of the biggest draws of him as a prospect when he got drafted last year yeah another thing that I saw I mean we saw like two or three good games but was it kind of worrisome to you to see we'll kind of tag in Marquis Chris just a little bit here but was it kind of worrisome to see Bender and Chris not dominate in the Vegas Summer League this summer I think part of it was I mean, yeah, well, we'll get to Chris as the last one in a minute, but with him especially, it was the weird expectations they had from him, and then it, now we're seeing this week Ryan McDonough come out and kind of call him out for weight problems when Earl Watson was in the media talking for 
weeks this summer about how they were going to have him bulk up and, and try to handle some five uh, a little bit more than he had last year. So those expectations were probably partially to do with it. But I don't think Bender's ever the kind of player who's really going to dazzle because I think he's the kind of player who is, we are, we're learning more and more, is really only going to ever be complimentary. You know? yeah. He's a very valuable he's, role player on a very good team. Yeah, and that's part of why I thought it'd be so cool to see him if, if he had been part of a possible Kyrie Irving package because next to a player like LeBron and you know maybe Booker or Jackson develop into a an offensive player capable of, of making his teammates better like that, we're a long way from that. But um, a player you know like a James Harden, LeBron James type guy who really, really feeds their teammates and puts them in amazing positions to score, that's where Bender should be. And, and if not, then... You know, he's he's gonna his impact's gonna be pretty low. I mean, outside of his defense, I mean, is his offense starting to worry a little bit? I mean, he is a very good on ball defender. We've seen it at times. He's handled assignments down low against guys like Anthony Davis at at that point. Not exactly doing the best at it, but has he shown you enough on defense so far? I mean, the advanced numbers aren't really showing it, but has he taken at least some strides forward as far as his defense goes? I think he obviously has, and I think that part of the problem with a lot of, you know, comparing the improvements we can see when he's playing to what the numbers are showing is, you know, a lot of his value is the versatility, the ability to defend smaller players, move his feet in space, those kinds of modern NBA defensive techniques, and the numbers aren't ever going to be able to capture that. There's no number that shows how well you can switch. Um, One number that does kind of help, though, is uh, the Suns are... Uh, and, and he's, I think, 2% better overall uh, in def- uh, opponent field goal percentage within six feet of the rim. So basically in the restricted area, he's um, a better rim protector than you know the overall Suns number. I think he's at 58% compared to the Suns 60% overall. So, And those numbers um, are tough to trust, but for rim protectors, they're, they're usually pretty good. And the other thing about the, the overall like real plus minus type of stuff with him is he plays with backups a lot of the time. He's really been tied to Alex Len as his front court partner outside of the time he's played a little bit with Marquise Chris. But, you know, he's really a part of that second unit outside of the couple times, or I guess just the one time that we saw him start, and that didn't go well either. So I think he's a victim of the players he's playing with a little bit as far as that stuff goes. But he, you know, you'd, you'd hope that eventually he's making that, that numerical or statistical impact a little bit more. Uh, show up when you know if he's really a a difference maker on that end but I think you know we can't argue with what we've seen as far as those improvements yeah you brought up before I could but with that his dragon benders first career start came against the Chicago Bulls and after the first half he got pulled Marquis Chris went back into the starting lineup just I want to get your overall thoughts on that because I don't think we had a chance to discuss that just what was your overall thoughts on Bender starting and them going straight back to him off the bench in the second half yeah, I thought that was pretty silly to, to put him. I, I guess Chris was having a decent game and, and got going early and wasn't in foul trouble, which always helps with him. But it just seems ridiculous to give somebody an opportunity like that. Obviously, you know, confidence is such a big deal for Bender, or at least it's always seemed that way. So to give him the kind of opportunity where you're letting him start, letting him, you know, have that rhythm early that, that players always like as a starter and then to, to just kind of crush it right after he struggles. Uh, two early fouls in that game. I think he played eight minutes in the first half or something. And then 
I, I don't know how many he ended up with for the game, but yeah, it just seemed, you know, in a inconsequential game like that where, you know, they, they won and it wasn't that much of a important matchup in any kind of way that, you know, why not just roll with it and, and see how he performs. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of curious to see them do that, like you said, because really Bender thrives off of getting consistent minutes. We saw it when he had time in Vegas. He had some good moments. And really, with the second unit and last week against the Lakers, I think twice at L.A. and at home, he had some very good moments. But that was when he had at least like 20 to 22 minutes of playing time. So that'll be something I follow going forward. But what's your overall grade for Dragon Bender? Because for me, I think it's a, around a C plus, B minus, because probably a C plus, because really outside of his defense and his improved perimeter game. I mean, like you say, he's more of a – we're starting to find out a little better that he's just just could be a primary role player in this in this system moving forward unless he takes some huge steps forward in the next season or two. But what's your overall grade for Bender? Yeah, I'd say uh, – I'd actually say a C, even a little lower than you. So uh, I just – yeah, I agree. And it's just been um, – if he's really improved on defense, I'd like to just see it show up a little bit more consistently, get some of those blocks and, and really make a difference on that end. And the flashes aren't enough for me. And real quick before we dive into Marquise Chris, just an off-topic question related to the other guys outside of Booker and Warren. Is it kind of worrisome to you? I mean, these guys are super young. They're all 21 and younger. I mean, really 20 and younger right now. But Jackson, Bender, and Chris, that they, I feel like they, they were kind of drafted the average about 10, 12, 14 points a game. They're obviously not at that point in their careers yet, but is it kind of worrisome, especially with Chris and Bender, to not see them at least be fully functioning on offense yet? Yeah, that's a big thing that Kellen uh, Olson always talks about and talked about on the podcast a lot last year is you they just have to be impacting the game more than they are. And, you know, Triano's given them more opportunities than Watson did, and, you know, they're being put in, you know, he, he's at least, if nothing else, he's trying stuff with the lineups. Maybe that's frustrating at times, but you really, they, they really need to be doing something. You know what I mean? And, and at the very least, Josh Jackson's playing with energy and 23 usage. If he's getting those opportunities, well, good on him for taking them. You know what I mean? Like, this team doesn't have the talent to be creating a pecking order in any way. Obviously, Booker's going to get the chance to do what he can do early. Warren's going to fill in the gaps, but that's 40 shot attempts at the most every game. Teams have over 100 possessions. You know what I mean? That there, There's so much to be filled in from this team, and it really shows up on nights when either Booker's not playing or, or one of him and Warren isn't active and isn't uh, you know performing well because – there is no one else some nights at all. And when you have this much talent, this much lottery talent picks within the top 10, like this team has, it's really starts to get discouraging on some, you know, nights like the Pistons lost on Wednesday when these guys have every opportunity to be just shooting, just putting up shot. I mean, like there's so many rookies every year where like Zach Levine is a good example, you know, he doesn't look great when you look at how much he's, performing on offense but that's the example of a guy who had a a chance on a Wolves team that didn't have that pecking order really and and just made the most of it scored points developed his shot you know use his athleticism to make stuff happen and no one on this team does that consistently so I think you're definitely onto something with that that's one of the bigger problems I've seen 
Yeah, I believe that's now two out of three with Bender, Jackson. We'll see with Chris what your grade is and what my grade is. But it's kind of worrisome at this point that we have three guys grading out in the Cs. So hopefully in the next 20, 25 games, we'll see some sort of improvement with those three guys. But let's dive into that final player before we go into Jay Triano and his improvement so far. And that's Marquise Chris. What's been your uh, impressions of Marquise so far? I think we might disagree on Chris because I'm – I. It makes me so mad, but I'm like actually sort of optimistic about him relative to a lot of the other guys outside of Booker, really. Um, so the bad stuff first, he's sixth in the NBA in personal fouls. He's actually gone up um, in fouls per 36 minutes from last season, just a little bit from 5.4 to 5.6. So fouling even a little bit more, uh, even though he's maybe looked a little bit more in control. Um and then, yeah, he's one of the players in the bottom 10 of, of real plus minus. But so here's the good, which is actually comes on defense, surprisingly. So he's the first on this team by far um, in terms of really all of those defensive, like all-encompassing metrics, but especially box plus minus. He's at 1.4, and no one else on the team, there's only two other guys positive. No one else is over 0.2. I think Dudley's at point one and Monroe is at point two. Um, the defense is three points better when he plays. And uh, part the only real thing outside of uh, maybe some, some skewed stuff with those numbers is he's improved his block percentage and he's up to over two, point thir- uh, two per 36 minutes. But uh, that just blew my mind a little bit and it made me feel a little bit better because I felt like I'm seeing improvements out of Chris those numbers just shocked me yeah i mean honestly i've seen it so far chris's rim protection is definitely taking a step forward this year because i brought up in a tweet i think about a couple weeks ago when i was doing some film study from the lakers game i was watching but i mean chris is around six nine six ten right yeah all right so it i think he could be a really good like tristan thompson like rim protector as his overall potential i mean if he learns how to go straight with his verticality he's a very high leaper he knows how to impact a lot of plays at the rim so I think he's finally starting to figure out because, I mean, we forget about guys, but Marquise Chris is only in his seventh year of playing basketball total. So he's definitely yeah. still in his infancy as far as that goes. So he's starting to learn the ropes a little better. And I also know with his on-off stats, I've found, I mean, his offensive rating is by far the best on the team at around 111. And when when he's off, when he's off the floor, actually, they go down at least 10 points again. So him and TJ have been those kind of – under unheralded guys so far as far as efficiency goes and really I agree with you with those on off stats and his advanced numbers he has really been the the third best son so far but any other thoughts with Chris because really with me his fouls are very worrisome his turnovers are a little worrisome too but he's starting to figure it out a little bit better on offense he's doing a lot better as far as transition threes and being that guy in space to help out so really there are some steps taken forward Marquise compared to Dragon. I think I maybe 10 games ago I wasn't going to say that but I've seen a lot of good stuff out of Keith in the last couple weeks to really flip my notion with him. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, um, it, it just, it, it looks, it sounds so silly to be so optimistic about a guy who's so ridiculously inconsistent. Uh, I would say one thing though with him, and it is a little weird because of the lineup stuff that's been going on that he would look a little better recently, but I do think that he, for some reason, for whatever reason, uh, it was right after that, I think it was the first shoot around after Bledsoe was dismissed. Uh, 
couple of us were asking Chris about, you know, what the rhythm, how it, how it feels different for him coming off the bench. And he really just seemed like he didn't like it. You know what I mean? It, and maybe he is, is silly to expect that as a second-year player, but, um, you know, that seems to really have an impact on him is to just be able to come out with those starters. He, he plays mostly with Chandler, and I think that might have something to do with those defensive numbers, why the team looks a little better with him on defense um, because of Chandler always being there and, and whatnot. But um, I think he's benefited from simplicity, was with the, the rim protection as you're talking about he's mostly coming in as a weak side rim protector uh he's really being asked to do that more i think from what he's told us and then on offense too 40 percent of his shots are coming from three as a much lower usage percentage he's only like uh, just over 15 percent as far as usage goes so he's really not a guy that needs the ball a lot um to stay engaged and i think that king's game maybe the fourth game of the year Triano's opening game was the best game of his career by far on all these levels. He was hitting threes, he was making passes, and he was uh, blocking shots. So I think that that's the game you look at from this first quarter of the season as far as like a best-case scenario for him. But uh, I think I'm going to give him a B-plus. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I told you we disagree a little bit. Not not necessarily by like the production, obviously, because no, none of these guys really are producing outside but of the, the first the, two we talked really about. Really, the progress and development is what you're looking for, right, with these grades? For sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I just have seen the, the stuff that I was hoping for and, you know, the fouls. I think you just have to hope. I mean, a guy with the maturity and, and whatnot to play on an NBA team, you'd hope eventually that stuff just kind of goes away as he, as he learns where to put his body and controls his temper and, and you know, no, no more outbursts. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about with you bring up that point about Keith maybe not being happy off the bench, but with him again being only six or seven years in basketball, that probably was his first time coming off the bench. To be honest, I mean, thinking about it, that might be what the case is, and really maybe he's not that comfortable with the bench unit guys. I mean, we've seen it so far. Dragon has a very good chemistry with the likes of Alex Lynn and Tyler Ulis compared to Marquise, so it'll be something to monitor moving forward. And I think I have a grade for him around a B minus, not as high as you, but he does make the B category, but. I think his overall rim protection, his defense has taken a step forward this year. His offense, as far as his shot selection, has been a lot better. It's a lot more spaced out for all three levels. So that will be another step I look forward and really to see what he does move forward. So he's one of the guys I'm very high on outside of Jackson and Booker. And really hopefully he can take those next steps for the next 20 games or so when we do our halfway report. But let's dive in real quick with Jay Triano, the associate or interim head coach of the Phoenix Suns. He's had about 21 games so far under the helm. What's been your thoughts with Jay Triana? I think, unfortunately, one of the biggest um, referendums on how Triana's performed as a Suns coach probably came this week when uh, fans and even media were pretty quick to become interested in David Fisdale. Um, that kind of shows after that first stretch, and I think you have those numbers, I'm sure. Uh, you tweeted them last night, I believe. Um they, they've really sunken since that first uh, burst. And I've liked his message to the team a lot, you know, earning what you're getting as far as playing time and, and role and opportunities go. And um, some of that stuff's been nice to see, different than Watson, more applying maybe what Watson preached. But I uh, have been frustrated with the lineup stuff, especially over the last couple of weeks, starting Monroe and Chandler twice and starting Jackson at the two and uh, being inconsistent as far as Booker uh, in a playmaking ball handler role that's come and gone 
kind of without really much reason that I can see. And the point guard juggling, I just haven't loved the lineups and I haven't loved uh, the roles that he's asking players to have when those lineups get skewed. But the message is solid. Yeah, I think the message compared to Earl is a lot better. I mean, he is, he is holding guys accountable, actually. I mean, you've seen it with Jackson, Bender, and Chris. When they do mess up on the court, he does take them out. He does talk to them on the side for a couple minutes. So that's at least a positive with Earl. Because even though I wasn't around the Suns that long, I did not see Earl Watts communicate one time with any of his players while I was at any games in the first two games or preseason. So that's definitely a step forward as far as that goes with player development. But I, I pulled those stats right now. I wanted to check out the description of the Suns' advanced numbers through 20 games under Jay Triano. This is literally the prototypical co- dead coach bouncer here because the first five games, the Suns are 4-1 and one under Jay Triano. They have 107.8 offensive rating, which is 7th in the NBA, 102.0 defensive rating, which is 12th in the NBA, a 5.8 net rating, of, which is 6th overall, and a 57 true shooting percentage, which is 9th in the NBA. And then over his last 15, which the Suns are 4-1, and one, they've kind of fallen back down to earth, obviously. Their offensive ratings have plummeted down to 100.7, which is 26th in the league. 109.8 defensive rating, which is 29th in the league, about 0.1 ahead of Chicago, and negative 9.1 net rating, which is 27th in the league, and a 52.3 true shooting percentage, which is 28th in the league. So really alongside those numbers, they're only joined by Chicago and Sacramento and almost all of them. So really under Jay Triano, they have regressed back to that bottom three, in, bottom three in the NBA type of team. So are those numbers really just dead coach bounce for you? I mean, it seems like there's no other way around it. I, I don't know necessarily why, but it seems like the Bledsoe loss would have overcome whatever bounce they got from, from the change of a coach. But, yeah, there's no other way to, to put it. Um, I think overall that, I don't know, I guess I would give Triano probably a C plus. I just think the last couple of weeks have been too uh, bad to ignore. Yeah, I mean, I'll give I'll give a benefit of that. I'll give him a C because I think he's worked. He's doing at least a lot better compared to what Earl Watts did in the first three games. I mean, from probably get your opinion on this as well, but did that that team look like it, it quit on Earl before the, the first tip of the opening game? Right. It's must. They must have at least defensively. No one was putting in an ounce of effort. So you know, it was weird to see how frustrated guys like Booker and uh, others were when that change happened, but. You can't argue. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it's really one of the worst stretches I've ever seen from any team. So, yeah, I mean, there's no really any other way to explain it. Yeah, I think the opening night was 124-76 loss to the Portland Trailblazers, San CJ McCollum. So we knew obviously something was coming in the next couple weeks after that happened. But I think Triano, his message is getting to the players a little bit better than Earl. But as we've seen with the numbers over the last 15 games – the Suns are well on their way to being a top lottery team. I mean, we kind of got fooled with that 4-1 start under Triano because they had some really good wins at Washington. TJ Warren scored 40 points in that game. That's probably their best win of the season as far as road wins so far. But outside of that, I think Triano is probably going to be in a rough rough stretch because they play the Celtics tomorrow tomorrow morning. So that might be a rough one as well like we saw with Detroit. And the schedule gets no, nothing easier after that point. They play the Spurs next weekend. And then they have a tough East Coast stretch coming up as well. So really for the Suns, it'll be very interesting for me to watch. But I'll give Jay Trion the benefit of the doubt of a C. But I mentioned in a piece on Brightside as well last week or earlier this week that Dave Fisdale really should be the guy to go after right now. And really quickly, Brennan, do you think that the Suns should go after Dave Fisdale midseason? Because I know it's a very, very unorthodox thing to do. But if Trion 
keeps this up and does all this, do you think it's better for the young guys to have the, the long-term voice in their ear now compared to this summer? I think you worry about the amount of change that's that you're forcing on guys. But, true, you know, yeah. for somebody like Josh Jackson, I, I, I would say he probably considers Triano to be his first coach. And, uh, you know, Booker, Chris, those guys, I, I just don't think that they're necessarily set in stone enough where you're going to worry. But at the same time, you know, TJ and, and Alex Len have been here for a while. And if they, you know, if they want to resign Len, that whatever. But those guys have seen a lot of change. And I think the Suns are at a point now where the, the concern starts to be, you know, the image that they're giving to the rest of the league. To We've talked about that before, too. But, you know, at a certain point, you want stability. You know, you just want it to look good and, and uh, kind of have a an image of, you know, if nothing else, just, you know, we know what we're doing and to change have three coaches in one year and have one of them be some guy who, you know, for everything Fisdale did in Memphis, he pissed their star player off and got fired. That's, that is the truth of it. So I, the optics of a move to him, uh, that's a tough sell too for some fans, I'm sure. And so Triano has at least, won some games and he's gotten the team to play hard some nights here and there. He's gotten a lot out of certain players. So I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt to probably my gut says that they'll give him the rest of the year just because of all those reasons. And and because he really hasn't given them a reason as far as his own performance to, you know, move on immediately. Yeah. Off topic related to the coaching search real quick, probably in the summer it's going to happen, I imagine. But is there a prototypical fit for this roster? I mean, Earl was a guy that was definitely about player bonding, but not much X's and O's. I mean, are they just going to try to find like a younger candidate that blends both of those factors together? Or is there any sort of name that, that you like out there? I mean, maybe not on the current market or anything, but is there a prototypical kind of coach out there that you think that this team needs for it to take the next step forward? I think that you, I think a younger guy makes a lot of sense, similar to what Watson was able to give. Uh, I'd say, yeah, if we get really young or really old, I just don't think a, a coach who's, you know, so if, if someone else were to get fired aside from Fisdale, like a veteran coach, you saw this in with the magic. I mean, with like somebody like Scott Skiles that didn't go well. And I think a lot of those reports came out that players weren't playing as hard as he, as his expectations were. And um, he just really didn't get along with some of the players based on their attitude and, and performance and energy level and things like that. And you run into that problem, I think, when you have a really hungry coach kind of jumping back in to a competitive like NBA environment like this. So I think you either want somebody who's really young or has something to prove. Uh, Kevin Ollie was a really big name from UConn for a while, but he ran into some problems and hasn't really been in. But, you know, I know, like you said, uh, I think it was either on Twitter or on the pod that Shaka Smart's probably not coming to the NBA and, Brad Stevens type play, type of coaches uh, easier to talk about and guess about than to actually move into the NBA side and, and really find a foundation for him to build from. But I also don't think somebody really old uh, along the lines of Triana, but with maybe more head coaching experience and more uh, of that reputation around the league, um, that could help too. Maybe that that sort of mentality and that experience and that know-how and, you know, just having seen so many young players could also help, you know, but 
I, I feel like they probably lean young because I don't think Sarver's going to pay the coach. But optimistically, maybe that kind of older guy might might do the trick too. Yeah, even though it may be unlikely at this point, I I, I saw a story on Bleacher Report a couple days ago about Chris Bosh maybe possibly doing a James Jones type role or player development type role. And I saw that, I just realized because James Jones, Fizdale, and all of them, they were in Miami for four straight years together. So I'm starting to connect the dots a little bit, maybe playing a little hypothetical conspiracy theory. But I think that those three together, maybe Bosch in a player development role, Fizdale as the head coach, and see if James Jones can try to convince McDonough and Sarver to have him on because that makes a lot of sense as far as those connections go. But we'll be with you guys again tomorrow after the Celtics game. And we'll actually both will be with you guys Tuesday or Wednesday night for the Valley of the Sun shootout when DeAndre Aiden and Robert Williams two likely top 10 picks are facing off in Talking State Resort Arena. Brent and I will be there. So we'll have a lot of coverage coming your way as far as the NBA draft, the Suns, and the rest of the NBA goes. So hope you guys have a great weekend, and we'll see you then.